ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hi, this is Jay Richards, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. And I'm joined today by a colleague also at the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture, Anne Gager. Anne is a biologist and has a, a very impressive bio and record, but I, I described that in our previous episode in which we talked about this brand new book. It's just out this April that Anne was the editor of. It is called God's Grandeur, The Catholic Case for Intelligent Design. And as I mentioned, is both the editor, also multiple contributor to this volume, God's Grandeur. But some of the people that contribute to this, I, I didn't mention in the previous episode, people like Michael Behe, of course, the author of Darwin's Black Box and Darwin Duvall's, Michael Egnor, who is a pediatric neurosurgeon and common contributor to Evolution News and Views, friend John Bergsma, who's a theologian from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Father Pedro Barillon, yours truly, Father Michael Haberick, Ben Weicker, who is also at the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Jay Bujaszewski, philosopher at the University of Texas, Bruce Chapman, the former president and co-founder of Discovery Institute, and Logan Gage, also a professor of philosophy at Franciscan. So actually, we've got a lot of good folks from Franciscan University in Steubenville in this volume. Uh, we also have Anthony Esselin, who's a, a popular Catholic author and professor. So a lot of good stuff. And in this book, and we we're talking in the, in the other episode, that this has been under in the works for years as a sort of complicated labor of love that involves philosophy, theology, and natural science of all sorts. And finally done, uh, we talked a bit about the science in the, our previous interview, but I want to talk about this philosophy and theology, because this is a perplexing thing, especially for Catholics that maybe don't follow this issue, to discover that many respectable Catholics, otherwise Orthodox Catholics, for whatever reason, they don't think that it makes sense to challenge materialism, or at least Darwinism in biological sciences. And they also don't, for some reason or other, like intelligent design. I mean, how, how would you summarize why that is. I mean, it's a weird kind of complicated sociological phenomenon that surprises a lot of people, but those of us in the space know that, gosh, a lot of our fellow Catholics just don't like to talk about this stuff. Well, it's partly a cultural thing. Darwinism is all throughout the culture. It's emphasized in schools, in modern uh, media. I even saw an ad that I have a picture of at an airport that said, evolve or panic. <laughs> you know, the, the, you see ads where cars are evolving, and it, it's just um, a meme in our culture. And for someone to say, wait a minute, this isn't true, takes a fair amount of intellectual effort to come to that conclusion, and then a fair amount of just plain old determination and, what's the word I'm looking for, where you're not afraid to take some hits. <laughs> Crazy, where you, you're, not, you're not afraid to be hated by people around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're willing to have people call you names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's the sort of dynamic here is that there's a very strong social pressure for everyone to, it's much easier to find ways, at least easier socially, to find some way to accommodate these sort of Darwinian stories than to really dig into the details and maybe discover, oh, darn, this doesn't really hold up really well. I mean, of course, we're not claiming that the Darwinian mechanism doesn't explain anything. No one 
that claims that, but that it's it's sort of vastly oversold. Uh, it doesn't explain what it's supposed to explain, and also it it doesn't vanquish this question of teleology or design from yeah. natural science uh, or from from biology. That's that's mm-hmm. a very kind of a claim. And of course, this is what's sort of weird about it, though, is that this idea of teleology is, of course, a perennial theme in Christian and in Catholic thought, the very idea of natural law, that there's a morally accessible moral law, right, that's, that's accessible by way of reason, and that there are also natural laws in the sense of the, the laws that, that Newton talked about. This all sort of hangs together really nicely. And so from the outside, you might think, gosh, this sort of evidence of intelligent design, that is positive evidence from the natural sciences of teleology, that seems like something that would fit hand in glove in Catholic thought. And yet there's a lot of resistance, unfortunately, in, among Catholic academics, not just from liberal Catholics. That's that's the key thing. You'd expect that. But this is from people that would otherwise be Orthodox Catholics that believe in miracles, that believe were made in the image of God, yet they don't seem to get this. And that's, you know, something that's sort of frustrating. And so that's why mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping this book can help sort of answer that, at least for those that are that have open mind. I forgot to mention that, of course, if people are curious about this book before they buy, if you go to the website, godsgrandeur.org, so godsgrandeur.org, you can actually download a free chapter of the book ahead of time. I think it's the preface. And then you get a sense of, of what's what's happening. So let's talk a bit about the kind of theology and the philosophy. I mean, you, and of course, you're a scientist and a biologist, but you talk about the importance of, of beauty pointing toward design mm-hmm. in a way. Materials. I mean, mm-hmm. actually the role of in natural science. Tell us a little bit about that. It occurred to me a long time ago that you cannot explain beauty by by a Darwinian process. There's no selective advantage to being beautiful versus not beautiful. There's no explanation why we appreciate things as beautiful that have nothing to do with survival. You know, there was a theory for a while that we liked certain landscapes because they looked like our home savanna to us. But that doesn't explain why we like rocky cliffs on uh, the ocean or Mount Everest. Those are not hospitable places. And yet we love them. We appreciate art, whether or not it's a painting of a landscape or a portrait of... So this question of beauty was fundamental in my becoming a Christian Hmm. because I saw that I could not account for the beauty I, I saw in the world around me by a Darwinian process. And it indicated to me that uh, there was a need for a creator who himself loved beauty and goodness and truth. Um, you don't get those ideas out of Darwin. No, you don't. I mean, of course, you'll get Darwinian just so stories, right? So you've got the peacock and you get sex selection arguments. So, well, the, fe- the peahen, you know, likes, she sort of likes the peacock that has the bigger feathers. And so there, he's going to, it enhances his, his reproductive fitness. But as you said, it's like, okay, well, the beauty of a, a nebula that we see in a telescope or something, the Darwinian is ultimately, he really has to explain it away. I mean, the, the key thing I think you're talking about is that, look, if you think that beauty is a real thing out there in the world, there is something that's actually beautiful and some things are more beautiful than others. Is that an illusion, right? That, okay, maybe there's some underlying selective advantage, but it's not real. Or do you think that's a real thing? And if it's a real thing, 
you need an account of reality that can accommodate it. And the Darwinian mm-hmm. processes just ain't going to accommodate beauty as a real thing, just as it will not accommodate moral judgments as real, true judgments. It might, uh, yeah, you'll get a Darwinian story about how uh, certain cultures sort of viewed things as, you know, say a culture that ate its children is going to have less a selective advantage than a culture that loves its children. So, of course, uh, we end up with cultures that love our children. But as, you know, as Michael Russino Wilson said, that's the morality fobbed off on us by our genes to get us to cooperate. It's, it denies that morality has an actual referent, right? It's just that, oh, yeah, well, the believing moral uh, in morality gave you a selective advantage, but it's not really, a, it's not a real thing. And so the Darwinian account's always going to be deflationary. It's always going to be trying to explain these things away. But what's fascinating is that the perception of beauty has played a role in natural science itself. So the science, which is supposed to be the kind of basis for modern materialism, and yet the perception that certain theories are beautiful uh, has itself played a key role. That's, I, 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 that's what's sort of really fascinating. Yeah. Um, the other thing that plays into this too is that the universe is intelligible to us. We mm-hmm. are able to learn, study the universe and and grow in our knowledge of it. There's no reason that that should happen. There's no reason to expect that our intellects and our ways of thinking about things, our mathematical forms should correspond to the universe. And yet they Mm. do. There's a story about a kind of mathematics that was developed in the, I believe in the 1800s, just for the pure pleasure of putting together this system of mathematics, independent of anything and 50 years later, physicists came along and, and they needed a new kind of mathematics to deal with the problem they were studying. And they found that this 50-year-old system was exactly what they needed. Yeah, which is just, I mean, because you've got multiple things here. One, there's no, you wouldn't expect, you know, if you're just going to say, okay, if the universe is entirely the result of, it's self-existent, they're entirely the result of blind processes. You wouldn't expect this kind of match, but you also wouldn't expect that our minds could comprehend it um, and that we could sort of use it to, to figure out the universe. You've got this weird match in multiple different ways. Whereas, of course, the Christian claim is that well, humans are created. We're part of nature. Of course, God has created us. We're, we're natural beings, but we also are intelligent beings made in the image of God. And so this kind of intellectual capacity, gosh, it's, it, it makes perfect sense given that framework. But in the materialist framework, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so this is why I've always sort of been staggered by this idea that somehow Christianity would be hostile to science. But in fact, I think it creates a, and in fact, historically created the natural seedbed for science. And we Mm -hmm. did a lot of discussion about that in the book. This idea of intelligibility, I think, is a kind of crucial component that a lot of people don't appreciate. I do think there's general friendliness to these kinds of arguments in Catholic circles. There's friendliness I think, to arguments about fine-tuning, which, of course, is discussed in the book. So the sort of arguments from physics and cosmology, in some ways, there's less hostility to that than there is to arguments for design and biology. And so I think that's the kind of place in which the controversy really erupts, so that even lots of Catholics that are perfectly happy to make a cosmological argument from the beginning of the universe or the contingency of the universe really don't like these arguments when they're they're focused on the origin of life or the origin of biochemical machines or something like that. Do you think that's just a 
Is this just a kind of an artifact culturally? Because why is this that there's still so much resistance in Catholic circles? Well, there's one thing that we haven't touched on, and that is that there's this idea that we have to have the same, we we don't want to um, have the same problem with science that Galileo did. Mm-hmm. So that we're Catholic scientists in particular are afraid of making statements that would go against the science in favor of the church. And f- turn out to be wrong later. And turn out to be thing. wrong later. Mm-hmm. There's also the societal pressure. Of, if you want to be a scientist in the, in the United States, it's a, a death knell to speak out for intelligent design at this point. But for me, there's this odd blindness on the part of especially Catholic biologists who see teleology. They see purpose in organisms everywhere, even in the pathways of biochemistry within the organism show purpose and design. But there's this blindness to it. And there's a blindness to the impact of the assumption that we are nothing but material random accumulations of mutation that that created human beings, what that does to our Catholic anthropology, our understanding of who we are as human beings. And that's, for me, the key issue. Because if people are taught that we are nothing but meat machines, then um, they can hear at church that God loves us, but you can't put those two things together. If you're taught that um, you are just the product of random processes and you're no different than animals, why then give special dignity to human beings? Why then not? Uh, why, if, if there's no such thing as natural law or moral law, why then should we punish certain kinds of behavior and not others? We lose the very foundation of rationality in our society. Mm-hmm. There is no rationality if you are a Darwinist. Rationality no. implies... Uh, well, you know, the, the, the idea that, yeah, the logical properties of propositions, that some, some propositions entail others or are contrary to others, those are not material objects. Logical relations are material objects, right? Yeah, this is why materialism always ends up kind of uh, unfortunately consuming itself so that mm-hmm. um, this is what Benedict XVI, of course, emphasized that it ends up being Christians and Catholics that ultimately in the modern world defend reason itself, that we believe in the logos. We believe that reason is at the foundation of things. Materialism contradicts that. And this is sort of the, the irony of these things. But of course, Arguing these things with materialists is one thing. Arguing it with fellow Catholics is another. And that's what, in some ways, is frustrating about this debate, is that the places where you would expect agreement and alliance and happiness, happiness, that guess what? Nature looked at without materialistic blinders actually confirms many of the things that Catholics believe. That should be treated as good debate or good news. Instead, it's it's not. It's unfortunately ignored or, or disdained. And so... That's the kind of special struggle for us. There's a special school of, of Thomism where philosophers want to, to make the claim that God made everything through secondary causation, that he doesn't yeah. intervene directly in his creation. Yeah, so he doesn't act directly. And it, yeah, and it's the irony is it directly contradicts St. Thomas himself, who insisted that no, God sometimes... 
God can work through secondary causes. He can work through natural laws. He can work even through the agency of other free beings. But he also sometimes acts directly in nature. And in any case, intelligent design is mainly focused on the detectability of design and purpose. However, God did it, right? And so presumably, we could at least look at the detectable design. And then the secondary question would be, okay, exactly how is this implemented? But it's 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 very difficult, unfortunately, to yeah to to manage to sort of have that debate. And so it's nice because this is not a huge book; it's you know a couple hundred pages long, but it it deals with so many of these kind of foundational issues: some philosophical, some scientific, and some theological. And it's an interesting collection of people that would not nor- normally be writing together under a single volume. What are you hoping for this book? I mean, what do you what are you hoping that it, it can accomplish? I'm hoping that it will open up some people's eyes to the fact that their uh, intelligent design fits Catholic theology. It answers basic questions. It does not deny our dignity. It actually amplifies our understanding of it. And um, it will give people hope, give people a, a way of answering the things they encounter in, in their schools or their jobs. And finally, the last chapter by Anthony Esselin is such a beautiful chapter to read where he brings mm. in the evidence from the, the science, the, but also the poetry, the music, mm-hmm. but also the physics and the biology. It's, it's an absolutely beautiful piece of work. He manages to, to make it clear that the world we have is not mechanical. It is not cold and, I don't know, meaningless. It is actually a wonderful symphony of meaning and life. Hmm. That's the chapter by Anthony Eslin. A living and symphonic order is the conclusion to the book. Because my essay on randomness, which is much more of a kind of dry philosophical analysis of why (laughs) randomness, if a process is truly random as the Darwinists mean it, then it means it's not directed. And not even God can direct an undirected process, which would have been a kind of downer of a place to end the book on. And then you've got Bruce Chapman pleading with people and arguing that, look, the church should be encouraging this debate rather than avoiding it or muddying it, which unfortunately sometimes happen. And then you get Anthony Eslin ending the book with his chapter, Living in Symphonic Order. Well, it's been so good to talk to you. So the book is God's Grandeur, the Catholic Case for Intelligent Design, Sophia Institute Press. You can get a free chapter and read more about it at the dedicated website, godsgrandeur.org. I have been talking with biologists and senior fellow at Discovery Institute, and Gager. I'm Jay Richards, also with the Discovery Institute for ID the Future. Thanks so much for joining us. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.